Hello, everyone, and welcome back to EU Untangled, the podcast where we try our best to unravel the complexity of EU politics and policies. Today, we have a special guest. Uh, his name is Kostis Janidis, and we're going to be talking with him about possibly the best known policy that the European Union has put out there, the Erasmus Plus program. I'm also quite thrilled because on the podcast, we also have my two most beloved co-hosts, Alex, who is joining us from Berlin, Hello. and Harpa, who is finally back all the way from Reykjavik. Woo! Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, baby. You've been having some shaky times over there, Harpa. <laughs> shaky times indeed. Uh, fiery and explosive times, potentially still. Um, so, yeah, basically, we've been having earthquakes in Iceland. Um, so it's close to 40,000 now um, within the period of two weeks. And that's more than we had for the entirety of the last two years. So I'm fired up and uh, ready to record. <laughs> shaken, not stirred. This oh, is shaken, great not happen. stirred. I've been waiting to work that joke into something in a conversation for two weeks now. And I still haven't managed to figure it out. And here you go, straight away. Damn. Alex, um, it's good to have you back, man. Nice to be back. And I'm very excited to be now in a team of four this time for this episode. Kostis, um, I'll give you the floor now. Um, we should have let our guests start, but somehow somehow I left <laughs> you at the end. I'm so sorry about that. It's okay. Thanks a lot, Victor. I'm already feel uh, you know very included in this nice discussion that we have here. So hello, Victor. Hello, Harpa. Hello, Alex. It's a pleasure to to be in this uh, podcast and share my experience. So indeed, uh, I am from me from the Erasmus Student Network. Currently, I'm having this podcast from the ESN House, which is basically the place where the board of the Erasmus Student Network lives in uh, in Brussels. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll be very happy to to share some thoughts about uh, the Erasmus Plus program and the new developments. We should have said as well, you are the president of the Erasmus Student Network, ESN. Could you say a few words about what ESN is and the role that you play there? Yes, yes, of course. Um, ESN basically is a student organization which aims to support international students while they are abroad. Uh, for example, if a student lives uh, from, from Italy to do his or her Erasmus in, uh, in um, Belgium, um, then this student will find uh, one of our local volunteers in Belgium to take care of this, of this student and try to make uh, this person to be integrated in, uh, in the local community, to, to make this person uh, meet new friends uh, and feel comfortable in, uh, in, the new, uh, in the new country that also promote in general uh, mobility whether if it is student mobility or youth mobility and so on, we want young people to live, um, to have, to, to live an international experience because we believe that by studying or volunteering abroad, the, the, um, yeah, the experiences that students and young people get are very, very viable for their personal development. Uh, uh, indeed, I am the president of, of the organization. We have uh, 42 national organizations in 42 countries around uh, Europe, across Europe, and then we have around 533 local associations based in uh, different universities. That is one impressive network, and I'm happy that uh, that that you mention all this work that you do because I think uh, unfairly so um, ESN is also associated with a lot of partying, a lot of uh, you know students go abroad and they think oh I'll join ESN to have the time of my life, and they certainly do, but not necessarily because they party every night, but because they <laughs> are indeed integrated into the local community, they get to interact with other students, and I think that the work that you do there is uh, very very relevant. And you do a lot more than just integrate students um, at the ESN. You're also taking part in international cooperation projects. We might get the chance to talk about that later in the pod. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to to endorse everything that you've said because I've had the pleasure to work with ESN on a few projects before. Um, so I'm very much aware of the good job that you're doing there. You, you mentioned uh, ESN parties. Have you been in any ESN parties so far? <laughs> 
Um, I have. I have been lucky enough. Um, I'm myself a Mexican, um, but when I was doing my bachelor's in Mexico, I got the chance to do an Erasmus exchange through what was then called an external cooperation window that the European mm. Commission set for Latin America. So I spent a year in Groningen in the Netherlands. And, uh-huh. and there I had the chance to join a couple of ESN parties. I also had an ESN buddy. So someone nice. who helped me integrate in the community. And um, yeah, I think I may have even had an ESN card. Um, so yeah, I got a taste of what uh, an, the ESN life is um, like. Perfect. Okay, so you know ESN from uh, from the first hand, not only in the policy level, but also on the activity and grassroots level. That's uh, That's very good. Yes, yes. I've been able to get almost the 360 experience of what the Erasmus <laughs> Student Network is. Talking about the uh, policy level, I just have a question maybe also some of our listeners might have. I, I assume correctly that the ESN itself, though, is a, it's a private organization and um, you're just helping the students. You're not in any way affiliated to the to the European institutions or mm-hmm. yeah so basically the Erasmus student network was founded back in uh, 18 uh, eight, uh, sorry 1989 um, it was founded from the first students that they went on Erasmus so what happened was basically that the European Commission when they launched the program they asked the ver- the first students to come back to, to in Belgium for an evaluation meeting. And there was, I don't know, 15, 20 students and they were um, uh, answering questions about, uh, from the commission about their experience and how the program is and so on. And one of the outcomes of this discussion was that the students wanted to have somebody to support them on the ground, you know, to have um, friends and peers to support them throughout, throughout the way. And uh, out of this evaluation meeting, the idea of creating a student organization was um, uh, was uh, let's say uh, st- uh, started, and um, the, those first fifteen students in uh, nineteen eighty nine today became fifteen thousand volunteers in um, forty two countries, and the main aim of them is to support international students. So when it, it go, uh, he, he or she goes on Erasmus, they come back and they want to continue, um, you know, experiencing this uh, this Erasmus Plus feeling and so on. So it's a grassroots movement. It's uh, it's completely dependent. ESN has its own uh, legal entity, and our uh, local associations and national uh, associations they have um, their own uh, legal entity as well. So ESN is not uh, affiliated um, in any uh, EU institution, but we are cooperating very closely with the European Commission because the Erasmus Plus program is a program run by the Commission, right? And this is. Uh, uh, why we have so close uh, ties with uh, with the European Commission, but mostly it's a grassroots movement that started out of the motivation and interest of a few students, and now became a very big movement to support uh, thousands of Erasmus students around Europe. This already speaks of the of the importance that the Erasmus program plays uh, at the European level, and I would dare say beyond. Um, but before we jump uh, into uh, the details of the Erasmus program and start a discussion around it. Um, I think Harpa has prepared a little quiz. Well, uh, first of all, I think we've talked a lot about the Erasmus Student Network, but I don't think we've touched upon what Erasmus is in the first place. So for those listeners out there that may be super confused, because certainly I remember uh, when I joined university uh, or started my university career back in 2008, um, I was in the university for like two years before I heard about Erasmus, and then I had no idea what it is. So just a bit of background before we jump into the quiz. Um, The Erasmus Plus program is essentially the EU's program for education, training, youth, sport, and culture. So what the the EU does is that they fund, uh, well, mobility so people can uh, go and train or take part in activities or study abroad uh, within a, a framework that has been established. Um, and then they also support all kinds of projects. Um, this started uh, with uh, university students going on exchanges, like Costas mentioned, um, and they have been, you know, this, this is where it all started. But since then, the program has grown. It has expanded into, you know, other sectors. So it, it covers activities from kindergarten up to, you know, adult education. Um, I once sent a person uh, on an Erasmus who was, I think she was 67 no, 76 years old. 
uh, she she had been a housewife, I think, uh, her whole life, uh, and then she wanted to start study, and and she actually went on Erasmus, and she went on to do amazing things. So, uh, it's a program really that uh, provides opportunities for people at all education levels. And then in 2014, um, the pr- program was rebranded a bit uh, by adding a plus. So now it's Erasmus Plus, and this plus represents that it's not just about higher education students, but it's about all kinds of education, youth sport, and cultural activities in Europe. Now, with that being said, we have a very important Erasmus person with us today, Kostis. Uh, you are the president of ES- ESN. Uh, with great power comes great responsibility. So I'm here <laughs> to do a little bit of a quiz with you uh, to see uh, if you know these interesting facts about Erasmus. Ooh, let's so the see. first thing is, and I'll admit I learned this when I joined the commission. I had no idea before. Erasmus is actually an acronym. Mm. Do you know what it stands for? Oof, uh, European Region scheme uh, something something i don't remember exactly uh, wait Whew. european was... region uh scheme for students something i don't remember <laughs> you are so close you're almost as hot well okay so sorry side note in icelandic if you if you're very close to something we say you're very hot ah, okay uh, so i was gonna make a joke that you were as hot as the lava that is flowing beneath me in iceland but then i realized it might be super inappropriate and not make any sense in english uh but you're very close costas because it actually stands for european community action scheme for the mobility of european students yes so You clearly knew that it was an acronym and you were very close to remembering all of this. So I'm already impressed. Um, so the second question, which do you think is older, Erasmus or Victor? I hope you choose the right answer, Kostis. Okay, that's, that's a very good question. I think they are about the same age, no? Like, uh, or <laughs> a- approximately there. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe Erasmus is a little bit older. <laughs> wow, that's exactly the right answer, Costis. That is amazing. So, uh, Erasmus and Vic are both 34. Erasmus's birthday, the, the program, is June 15th, 1987. Vic's birthday is June 26th, 1987. So, technically, the Erasmus program is 11 days older than Vic. So, Ooh, okay. Erasmus program is a little bit older. You nailed it. Yeah, still, still 33. And thanks for disclosing my personal information. I hope everyone listening out there remembers this. So I get some cool gifts on the day of my birthday. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I should have consulted you on these questions, Vic. Uh, yeah, you can just do like a beep. Um, now, uh, so the Erasmus program will be turning 35 in 2022, as will old man Vic. Um, and on this occasion, the European Council has decided to issue a commemorative euro coin to celebrate the Erasmus program. And actually, there is a voting ongoing now. So you can vote on the design of this coin. However, uh, this is not the first euro commemorative coin with Erasmus. Which member state had an Erasmus coin in 2011? Mm-hmm. I have no clue. Me neither. <laughs> What? You don't know the answer to the question, Harpa? <laughs> I meant before I wrote the question, I had no clue. Maybe Netherlands? <laughs> yes, you are right, Costis. Uh, it was, it was, this was a trick question. It was not actually a euro to commemorate the Erasmus program, but um, Erasmus, the person, who yeah, the I program figured. is also kind of named after. So it was the anniversary of uh, of the famous text he wrote, uh, Praise of the Folly. So in 2011, the, the Netherlands issued the commemorative coin. I want to ask you next, uh, how many students slash people do you think have benefited from the program? A.K.A. how many people do you think belong to the Erasmus generation? Mm-hmm. I know uh, the last figure that I know, actually, it was 10 million uh, people. Uh, which was, uh, I think, one or two years ago, communicated this number. So maybe now it's a little bit more than 10 million. Yeah, uh, that's that's the answer I have. Uh, uh, more than 10 million. But how much more? We don't know. But uh, yeah, so it's a lot of people that belong to the Erasmus generation. And uh, did you know that one of them 
won the Eurovision Song Contest, which is the greatest achievement that a human can achieve on this earth. <laughs> uh, so one of the persons who won the Eurovision Song Contest is a member of the Erasmus Generation. Do you know who this is? Wow, okay. No, I didn't know this information, actually. That's a typical Harper question. Yeah, yeah, because I'm a Eurovision nerd. Uh, Alex, do you know the question? Do you know the answer? Of course not. Of course not, because you have a life and you're not an idiot. You're not a nerd. No, but I'm really uh, not into Eurovision song contest, so I wouldn't know anything else either. So, Just give me a bit of time. I will convert you. Uh, but the answer is, it was Salvador Sobral, the Portuguese singer who won in 2017. But that concludes my quiz. And Costas, you did amazing. You okay. deserve to be president of ESM. <laughs> Thank you very much. Although I'm a, bit, a little bit ashamed that I didn't uh, remember the acronym. I I tried to, rem to, no to remember it so many times, but yeah. <laughs> it is a very complicated acronym. And yeah. I think it's the reason why they just people talk about Erasmus. They don't talk about this acronym. It's also actually quite a bad acronym because they're actually like one word, which is I think communities doesn't even come up in this, the C of the communities, not even in the acronym. <laughs> and then they have the ER is European. It's like Although really I think, weird. I so think the R stands for regional. No, no, it's it's European. It's the E. It's EU, and then the the R, the third letter in the European is this the is R true. of the Erasmus. It's really weird. I checked it this morning, actually, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm not sure. I always thought it was European One of the regional great action scheme for the mobility of university students, and that made sense in my head. No, no. No, no, yeah, but it's not Well, I, I, I tried to squeeze a region there, right? You remember, but <laughs> it wasn't then. Yeah. <laughs> well, with this being said, um, how grilled do you feel, Costis? Very Let's continue. You're certainly hot now. Hot as, as the lava. <laughs> Very good. So um, this, with this quiz behind us, um, I'm wondering why, in your opinion, Costis, why is Erasmus important? Why does it matter? And why should we care about this program? I think, I think it is important because um, I think it's accessible it's accessible for uh, for all with uh, some asterisk here, but uh, I think it's it's a program that gives opportunities to so many young people around Europe. Um, and it's not, as Harpa said, it's not only about uh, studying abroad. It's about having so many different opportunities. And um, it gives you the incentive to to go out of your comfort zone, to to experience another culture, another language, meet new friends, and so on. And it's very powerful because those people who actually do their Erasmus, they feel that they belong in something bigger. They they feel that they belong in a very unique, uh, you know, community which we call the Erasmus generation. Um, and this is a program that really empowers young people. When I went on my Erasmus, I had a specific, uh, you know, uh, ideas of what I'm going to do in my life. I had everything sorted out. I was, okay, I'm going to finish my bachelor's, then I'm going to do my master's, I'm going to work here and there. And when I went on Erasmus, I completely changed my, uh, you know, my plans. I completely changed my uh, my thoughts for uh, for um, for life in general. And I'm not kidding here. It, it really changed, uh, changed my life. So when I, I came back... I took a very uh, different course of action. And this is what I heard also from all my friends who have done their Erasmus back then. So I think it's a very powerful program with, uh, that gives you a very strong feeling and experiences that you might not get unless if you try to, uh, to do it. And for a person from, uh, from a small city where I come, are coming from, I think I feel very privileged to be able to experience this opportunity and have this uh, this mentality that I have now because without the program I wouldn't have the same. So th those are just some reasons why I believe that it's very important. I mean I if I can jump in just very quickly I mean I totally agree with you Costas that it's so important that it, it is such a mind changing and life enhancing experience you hear it from most people that participate in the program that it completely changes their perspective on on things in their life and also beyond that i think that stepping outside of your comfort zone and you know having to communicate with people from different backgrounds taking on these challenges and studying in a different way and and all of these things this is really enhancing all of the skill sets all of the life skills that you need regardless what field of work you you enter. And if you think about it, you know, the the computers are taking over and AI, you know, technology is starting to take away a lot of the the practical work that we used to do before. And now really what is needed is 
people who are capable of, you know, system thinking, they understand global contexts, they're confident and comfortable talking to people from different cultures and backgrounds, they are creative and innovative, um, and problem solving. And, you know, doing this thing of, you know, stepping outside, you know, leaving your, your comfort zone and your friends and family and just going into the unknown and taking on these big challenges. I think that this really enhances these skill sets and we need more people that feel like they, they can, you know, take on a challenge and, and really think outside the box. And like you said, now you, you thought that you had your life figured out and then you have this experience and you stop and you think, wait a minute, maybe there are some other opportunities out there that I didn't consider before. So, uh, yeah, I think that would be my answer to why this program is important. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I was very surprised when, um, I believe a couple of years ago, there was this Eurobarometer uh, that asked people to name the most important policies uh, that the EU had uh, brought about. And I, if I remember correctly, number one was peace. Number two was the euro. Number three was the Erasmus program. And I was taken aback because, um, you know, to rank behind uh, basically yeah, peace and a monetary union is pretty impressive. So now that um, they will issue a commemorative coin, uh, euro coin with the, for the Erasmus program, I think Erasmus will certainly rank first in no time. Um, but what, I, what I'm wondering is Erasmus gives you this whole set of transversal horizontal skills that go a lot beyond, um, way beyond beyond other uh, harder skills that you probably also learn because you go to a different university, you take different programs, you interact with um, different people, experts in the field, um, and all of this. Um, but I have the feeling that Erasmus also contributes to creating a different kind of identity. When you were talking, Costas, about Erasmus shaping your life in different ways and Harpa mentioning uh, it giving you a different set of uh, skills, expanding your, your horizons and I always wonder if Erasmus also helps you create a different kind of identity, maybe a broader one that goes beyond uh, your hometown. Uh, you yourself are from, from Greece, Kostis. I believe you're from Crete, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And uh, and now you live in Brussels. Uh, you're in Belgium. You're interacting with students from all over the world. Do you feel that Erasmus helps to an extent create what we like to call a European identity? Certainly, yes, and this is what I tried to, 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 to describe before, because I, I told you when I, when I left from, uh, from Greece to, to go on Erasmus, I actually went on Erasmus in the UK, which is a completely different uh, environment compared to, um, to where I used to live in, uh, in Thessaloniki in Greece. So when I did this, immediately my eyes were open, you know, and I saw that there are so many things that, that, that you can do in your life, and uh, there are so many people that they have uh, maybe similar experiences than you or maybe you want to debate on a certain matter, you understand that uh, there are different, um, I don't know, issues that uh, uh, you can take care of, uh, you can think about. And it made me, when I, when I went back to, to Greece, it made me understand that uh, I live in a space that it's so huge and it's not only uh, Thessaloniki, it's not only Greece. So indeed I felt this kind of, of, of European identity. Uh, I felt that that um, I don't want to stay in Thessaloniki only um, uh, for the rest of my life. I want to go to other places to, to experience uh, new cultures, to to know, um, to, to, to learn new ideas and so on. So certainly it made me feel uh, more uh, European uh, that time when uh, when I did my my Erasmus, uh, now I feel more uh, this global identity, not only the European one. To to be honest, but Erasmus was my first opportunity to actually go outside of my country and live in another country. So yes, that's that's a very strong um, feeling that Erasmus gives you. It was also very interesting when I came to Europe to learn that, for instance, the European Union, despite being uh, this. Um, international sort of, uh, or, well, regional organization that implements policies in different countries does not really have much of a say in terms of educational policy. That is still one of the things that is the competence of each member state. However, 
Erasmus Plus is a very important program for the European Union because to an extent it helps bring together uh, students from different universities that have different systems that uh, whose countries are also fundamentally different perhaps in what they consider to be of importance for their citizens when they are uh, growing up, when they're studying. So for me, um, the role that Erasmus is playing in Europe um, is remarkable. Uh, I, I have to say as well, it's impressive that it goes beyond Europe, right? Um, it's not only the current 27 member states, but also a number of countries um, that I believe amount to how many? Is it 34 now in total? Yeah, I think it's 35 uh, program countries, something like that. I don't know. But it's it's not just the EU member states. Uh, it's also Iceland, uh, Norway, Turkey, Macedonia. Oh, sorry, the Republic of North Macedonia, uh, <laughs> uh, Serbia, and a few others. So, uh, so yeah, it goes beyond uh, the member states. Is Switzerland back? In the, in the uh, team? No, it's not back. Uh, but I believe it's very much like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator, as in they have declared, I'll be back. But they're trying to find their way back to the program. And they're not there yet, unfortunately. Well, fingers crossed they will be back at some point. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, the importance of the program is also reflected in the big budget that it has currently and that the new program will receive uh, received as well as part of the next multi-annual financial framework of the European Union. Victor, what is what is the multi-annual financial framework? Uh, if we are if if we are if we are here to to explain the EU, we have to cut the jargon. Ah, you're absolutely right. Thanks. Thanks for the <laughs> thanks for the heads up, uh, uh, Alex. Um, yeah, it's basically a multi-annual framework uh, with money. Um, <laughs> what is a framework? Well, it's just money. It's a budget of the EU for the next seven years. It's a pot of I money, guess, uh, you know, that different yeah. member states uh, put together from their national budgets and then the EU redistributes via programs and policies, one of which is Erasmus. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it lasts for seven years. So each seven years, uh, EU, the member states of the European Union, they agree on a new budget and new priorities and the money is distributed accordingly. So for the period 2014-2020, uh, I believe the budget of the Erasmus program was close to 14 billion euros. And According to the latest news, the budget for the next seven years, so 2021, 2027, will be 24 billion. I'm just wondering, Costis, um, is this good enough? Is this? It, it sounds a lot to me, uh, but is this the right amount of money to sustain the program? I think generally the, the increase of the budget is something very positive uh, because it's um, one of the very few programs that they had such a big increase. It's almost doubling of, of the budget. Or maybe it's the only program. I don't know if there is any other EU program that actually received that uh, that much of a, of, a, of an increase. Uh, so the money that will, the, the budget that the program will have for the next seven years, I think it will be enough to to sustain the program and to make it uh, even better, uh, much better actually compared to what is now. However, from um, from a from a student organization perspective, I would say that the the Erasmus Plus can give. It has so many potential uh, for um, for for EU citizens, for 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 young people, not only in EU but in Europe and the world in general. Therefore, we were uh, envisioning to have even more, you know. But uh, the twenty-four or twenty-six billion euros compare uh, depends on how do you measure it. Uh, I think it's it's a very promising uh, increase, and we will have. Um, much more, uh, much more beneficiaries. So in the in the previous program, no, actually until now, as we mentioned during the quiz, we had 10 million people benefiting from um, from the program, right? In 30 years, 34 years, um, and only in seven years the program aims to to benefit around 10 million uh, people. So to achieve basically everything that we have achieved in 30 years, to achieve them, to achieve it only in seven. So from that perspective, I think it's a nice, uh, nice message. But don't you still think uh, that 25, let's let's talk about 25 billion more or less, given the total amount of the EU budget, which is around, a, what is it, a trillion uh, euros, it's uh, then we have at like two and a half percent. Don't you th still think for the high degree of importance for students, but also for the EU itself, don't you still think it's, I mean, it's it's great that the, that this little money can achieve so much, but it's also on the, on the other hand, still like a lack of like confidence that that education is so unimportant for policymakers, don't you think? Or is it? Uh, or am, am I wrong here and I have a wrong perspective on that? 
I mean, I could imagine 10%, 20% on education and not just like 2.5%, you know? Yes, well, unfortunately, this is, this is the, the case not only for the EU, but for the most of the member states that education always... Uh, you know, for, falls behind when it comes to numbers and, and money goes to very hardcore policies that has to do with defense, migration, agriculture and so on. And unfortunately, yes, education uh, um, is behind. So from that perspective, indeed, I, I fully agree that uh, if you take the whole EU budget and you compare it, it's, it's really nothing. The thing is that, uh, as we mentioned, uh, the, deci the decisions that uh, are there have to be made not only by the EU institutions but by the, all the 27 countries of, of the EU. And uh, there were some countries that they, are, they were very reluctant to, to chip in a little bit more in order to, to increase the, the, the budget of the Erasmus Plus program. And for that, we try to actually advocate and convince the member states to give uh, more money. Um, but unfortunately, this didn't happen. And for the EU, the program is one of the most uh, famous programs. Like you said, Victor, that in the Eurobarometer, it was actually the third one. Uh, and I think that if you ask any average citizen in the EU, uh, what does the European Union do and uh, how does benefit um, people and so on, I think the first answer would be a Rounds Plus program. So from that perspective, I believe, yes, that EU should invest much, much uh, more. But knowing the politics behind and knowing how difficult it is to take these decisions... I think that it's a positive message that we have this money, but certainly Erasmus Plus deserves much, much more um, compared to what it has now. Yeah, just just a little I follow up on that. Which country, I do know by any chance, like which country would, would oppose more money and what is the reasoning? I, why, would, why would anyone be against more money for, for Erasmus? Uh, is there any like political agenda behind that? I think I think the countries that they were reluctant, they were not reluctant only about the Erasmus Plus program, but they were reluctant to give more money for the whole EU uh, okay. budget, okay. right? I and it, right. if yeah, you okay. don't give uh, enough money for the whole budget, of course, uh, they have to, the, the, the European Union has to cut it from somewhere. But for example, the European Parliament uh, proposed tripling of the budget, right? And uh, all the student organizations, civil society organizations and so on, they were advocating for even more than, than tripling. And for the past three years, you, you, you could see so many different entities advocating and fighting for a strong Erasmus Plus program. And for me, it was very inspiring to see that the European Parliament and so many decision makers, they were willing to delay the whole approval of the EU uh, budget just to agree for a top-up for the Erasmus Plus program, you know, because we had this we had this issue. We were waiting for so many months to have the EU budget to get approved in order for the countries to receive money for the recovery of uh, from the COVID-19, for um, tackling certain uh, very important issues that they had. And all this got delayed, not only because of the Erasmus Plus, but the Erasmus Plus played a very important role because people, they wanted actually to fight and give it uh, a little bit more budget. And this shows the importance of, of, of the program, even in a political level. This brings me to another question. There is more money, which is always good, even if it's not as much as we would like it to be. But there is also COVID. And that has changed to a large extent the way the Erasmus program works in practice. I can imagine that for students over the past year, going on exchange abroad, if they went at all, was a very different experience than for students before. Um, can you maybe say a few words, Kostis, on how students have experienced the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on their exchanges and what this might hold for the future? Will the Erasmus program be the same? Will something change? Will it be back to being what it was? Yes, absolutely. The, the, the COVID-19 has impacted Erasmus Plus seriously. Uh, and um, to be honest... If I was a student nowadays uh, and if I had to choose to go on Erasmus and to know that, okay, I'm going to go to another country and I have to stay in my house, I cannot socialize, I cannot meet other people and so on. And, you know, you have so many restrictions. So if I, w if I were a student, probably I wouldn't go on Erasmus. But I'm saying this because I have been on Erasmus and I, I know how it is uh, during normal times. And what surprises me is the fact that 
although there are so many challenges, so many barriers and, and, and difficulties, students, they still go, uh, they continue and, and, and go on Erasmus. And this is again a sign that, that shows that the Erasmus Plus is so powerful and so important that even in the most difficult times, students, they choose to go. And I asked my friends, uh, I asked, for example, because I had friends that they did Erasmus during COVID, and I asked them, do you regret that you chose to do your Erasmus uh, during the COVID-19 times? And most of them, they said, no, I didn't regret it at all. Um, it was challenging, but if I wouldn't go now, I wouldn't have the opportunity. And I am very pleased that at least I had the, the, the chance to fill it uh, at this moment. I want to jump in here because we've already touched upon, you know, the personal development that happens on Erasmus and, uh, you know, all of the exciting things that you can do, which are enjoyable. But beyond that, also participating in Erasmus and showing that you have international experiences and a period of studying or training abroad as part of your studies it boosts your employability and it it's a the little something extra that can help you know uh, put your cv a bit higher in the pile of uh, applicants um so we've done studies uh within the commission into you know the impact of being uh, you know erasmus and i would think and i'm just theorizing here but maybe people know also the value of this just in terms of career pr- prospects and the fact that you can only participate in erasmus at least as a student while you are a student so if you don't take the opportunity when it arises, then this opportunity may not come again. So maybe this is also why people decided, okay, let's go still. It's still international studies that I'm getting into into my uh, degree and, and ultimately on my CV as something that I've uh, experienced as a student. Yes, exactly. I mean, th- there are so many different different reasons why a person goes on Erasmus, and and I think I think that especially the employability aspect that you mentioned, Harpa, is, is very important. That was actually my incentive also when I when I chose to to go on Erasmus. Uh, but still, I th- I think it's very promising that that, that that students they 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 continue, you know, even in the, in these challenging times to to pursue this um, this uh, this this challenge, but. Um, I have to say, from a more uh, negative side, though, that uh, uh, the number of students that they go on Erasmus now during uh, during COVID has been decreased uh, a lot. So, I from our student organizations, um, from the member organization of ESN, we know that in the last semester the decrease was around fifty uh, percent, something like that, fifty or sixty percent. You know, ESN supports uh, every year a specific number of, of students, and we realized that in the last semester this number was fifty or sixty percent less. So it's not an official statistics; it's not something that we know like a, as a as a hard fact, but this is something that we know from our from our student organizations. And now in this in this semester, um, the number is is even even less of, of students that they have been on Erasmus. So the impact was really really a lot. And um, there is another problem: uh, the fact that the students they had to undertake a part of their Erasmus experience online, uh, remotely. Which for us, uh, we believe that uh, studying online or having an online uh, Erasmus experience, it's it's nothing remotely near to what the real physical uh, experience of Erasmus is. Um, that's why we were also trying to to argue uh, against those voices who were saying that uh, maybe we can replace, uh, you know, Erasmus Plus and international mobility with online elements to have it fully online because it's cheaper, it's more environmentally friendly and so on. And for us in ESN, we certainly do not uh, agree with this because we understand that it's completely different to go abroad physically and to meet other people and, and so on and have your studies online. What we like, though, is the blended format of, of mobility, which is basically having both online and physical and giving more flexibility to, to, to participants. That is something that we agree. But uh, yeah, those, those were some of the discussions and challenges that we had also during COVID-19. And ESN tried to safeguard the importance of of an actual cross-border uh, mobility. And uh, yeah, if I start talking about the challenges that students they have during COVID-19, I will um, probably stop uh, talking tomorrow. So I will uh, finish here. <laughs> but I think that you actually created a very nice segue for us because you mentioned blended mobility. And that's actually one of the new things that can be found in the new Erasmus program that should be starting quite soon. So 
Victor, maybe you want to take this opportunity and maybe chat a little bit about what's new in the new Erasmus program. Uh, for sure. Um, but that would be more a question from my side. I think I think what is what is um, very promising in the new program is the fact that uh, there will be some elements that they will make uh, the the program much more uh, qualitative. For for me, it's it's very interesting the fact that uh, the program will become much more digitalized and simple when it comes to to, to the administrative uh, procedures. So I remember myself when I was applying for Erasmus Plus, it was so annoying and so difficult to do it because I went on Erasmus three times. So I have experienced this uh, this thing three times, and you can imagine how much I hate it. So. I, I, I am thinking that in one or two or three years from now, if a student wants to go on Erasmus, they can simply pick up their phone, they can they can fill their, their data, they can um, submit their application, and that's that. And and I think by only this, the number of students will be increased because I think the bureaucracy was one of the elements that were, uh, was making um, students demotivated from uh, from applying. So all of this digitalization uh, process, I think it's something very, very exciting um, for, uh, for the students that um, they, will, uh, they will go on Erasmus in the future. So this is one of the elements. The other is the fact that uh, the new program most probably will offer uh, more financial uh, support to the students when they go abroad. Uh, which is uh, something that ESN was advocating uh, a lot in the, in, in the past. So they will have a certain amount of, uh, I, don't, I don't remember how much exactly, but 50 or 70 euros uh, more compared to the pre previous program. And students from disadvantaged backgrounds, they will have even more money. Uh, and then there will be another uh, financial support, which is about um, uh, sustainable traveling. So if the students want to, to go to another country, they can choose a train or a bus. And then if they choose this option, then they will have uh, their travel compensated. While in the previous program, when you go on Erasmus, you get, uh, I don't know, uh, 500 euros um, per month and the travel ticket is supposed to be there included in the 500 which to be honest it's not enough because um, all the money goes to the accommodation so having those top-ups in the new program i think this is very exciting for for uh, for the new uh, for the new generation of students and then as you mentioned there will be new types of mobilities so phd students they can actually uh, opt in to do a short-term uh, mobility for uh, up to 30 days which in the past wasn't the option. Now uh, students, they will have the, the, the chance to, to go for blend mobility, which has uh, two different types of, of, uh, of uh, um, mobility, let's say. So one is the individual mobility where you can go abroad and have uh, an online component before and after. And then you can go uh, on your physical mobility between five days to 30 days. So this is completely new compared to the previous program. So for those students who don't have the possibility for different reasons to go abroad for six months, now they can opt in for this blend mobility. But for me, what is even more exciting is the, uh, the blend mobility type, which will offer the possibility for students to go abroad as a group. So you will have 10, uh, 10 students going in, a, in, in one country, well, actually, you will have, let's say, 10, 15, I don't know how many students starting their, their uh, course online. And then all together, they can meet in the same country, in the same university, spend their mobility together, and then they can go back and continue their um, online uh, mobility. So this is actually something very, very nice, in my opinion, to have like a group of students from different countries meeting in one place and to know these people already beforehand. Um, I think this is uh, this is very exciting uh, when it comes to this. And again, of course, there are so many other uh, opportunities that the program gives, and uh, Harpa knows them, uh, I think, even better than me. <laughs> yeah, well, I do know a little bit about this uh, new program. Uh, I won't say why. But uh, I just wanted to comment because we were talking about the power of Erasmus, and now you, Costas, have so nicely given an overview of all of the main things, new things that are happening in the program and talking about innovative ways for students to be mobile, like doing it in a group and part of it online and, you know, digital administrative procedures to reduce bureaucracy that surrounds these uh, mobility programs. And of course, all of this is creating nice opportunities for the individual. So the program is uh, becoming, you know, more open and more inclusive because it's more likely that you as an individual with whatever personal circumstances you have can find some option within the program that is suitable to you. And then also, you know, sort of the Trojan horse effect of all of this is that 
Well, the universities, they will have to create courses that can be delivered partly online, partly physically. They have to create courses that are open and other students from other countries can come and attend. So it's all of this innovation that these novelties can also spur on in higher education in general that I also find super exciting coming from, you know, the university side a little bit. Because I think also all of these exchanges and, and the cooperation projects that happen within Erasmus, this is also forcing universities to be more creative and and to modernize their curricula and to make higher education more exciting and more open and really create a global awareness in in the students. I, I liked very much, Costis, uh, when Vic was asking you about a European identity and you said, well, actually, to be honest, it's more of a global identity. And I think this is so important because if you think about, you know, climate change and the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, you know, really working towards these and achieving uh, what we want to achieve to address these societal challenges, you really have to address these issues with a global perspective. Otherwise, we won't get anywhere. And how do you achieve a global perspective? Well, we have to remember that, you know, our societies, institutions and companies, these are all just made up of people. And if we have more people that have a global understanding and sort of a a global civic responsibility sort of um, as part of their professional career, I think that can help us tremendously in addressing these societal challenges. So I think that this program, I mean, it, it hasn't really started yet, so it remains to be seen what the impact will be in the end. But I think that some nice seeds have been planted there as well to, you know, spur on a lot of innovation and, and social entrepreneurship. I absolutely agree, Harpa. I just wanted to 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 uh, say that we are recording mid-March and the official documents are not yet out there. What exactly is in the program? I think we have to to wait a couple of more weeks till EU institutions kind of like really publish the, the nitty-gritty details. Yeah, so basically, listeners, don't believe anything we have said so far <laughs> because everything might change. We're just looking into the glass bowl. <laughs> it's an excellent point, Alex. Uh, as you said, we still have to wait, but I think we would all hope that uh, it's just uh, formality what needs to happen now and the, the next Erasmus program will actually be as strong as it promises to be. Costis, back to you. just wanted to, to mention that... Uh, very recently, we helped uh, UNESCO in a, in a global study that they do, uh, which is uh, called the Futures of Education. And we, uh, we disseminated a questionnaire to, uh, to the international students and uh, students who have uh, an Erasmus Plus experience to ask them what do they believe are the most important uh, priorities uh, until 2050. And you could see that from the answers of the international students that, for example, climate change was uh, on, on the top. And all these global challenges that we are facing today, um, these international students, they actually uh, have a consensus of what are the problems and so on. And it will be very interesting to compare the answers of this survey uh, that the international students answered compared to those that they do not have a mobility experience to see what, what's the difference when it comes to, to their mindset. And, and uh, two years ago, uh, it was in 2019, we did another survey which was related to the European elections. And we wanted to see how active the international students are compared to the non-mobile uh, students. And this survey actually showed that uh, the international students and students who have an Erasmus Plus experience, have, they have the, this feeling of an active citizen, a global citizen, much more compared to the non-mobile. And um, I think it was... 60% uh, of those that they were involved uh, in uh, civil society organizations, volunteering, uh, giving to the society and so on. So we, we, we saw from this survey that if you have a mobility experience, then you, you tend to be more active in volunteering and active citizenship and so on, which is very important. Can I make a very quick comment? And it's a super corny comment, but you said, you know, what should universities be doing until 2050? You know, what should be the core mission? And for me, I think that the core mission is that you enter university and you're not there just to learn some basic facts, to get a good job and get comfortable somewhere in the middle class, pay your bills and watch Netflix. I think what university should be about that, okay, yeah, you learn those facts so that you can do a job. But on top of that, you should feel like you have some sense of a mission also when you go out there in life. Like there's something that you can also do as an individual to make the world a better place. And it's not just about, you know, the regular nine to five job. And I think 
if you manage to educate people in a way that you're you're teaching them the facts of whatever study area they are in, and then on top of that, give them the right sense of skills and the right mindset to also see that job in a broader perspective and make train them to actively think, ah, oh, what could I be doing differently here to to contribute less to climate change, for example, or to contribute to social inclusion in society, give back a little bit, you know, in some manner. I think this will have a huge impact. I know it sounds maybe a bit corny, but I really do think that the world is just made out of people. And if we all have this sense of shared responsibility and everybody chipping in and doing, you know, something nice, then then that will happen. I agree with you, Harpa, though I... You sound very surprised when you said that. I agree with you, Harpa. <laughs> is this the first time that that has happened? No, it, I mean, it sounds very nice on paper, but I'm, I'm also, like, <laughs> was wondering, like, in the last minutes when we talked about all the good things that come out of Erasmus, in the end, at least so far, it is still a project that is basically made by elites and also partly made for elites. I mean, if we're really honest to each other, like, there's a, it's a, in the end, still only a tiny percentage of people that have ever come close to Erasmus, no heard of Erasmus, or even have been part of Erasmus. I mean, I think the number is like three, three percent of, of young people and one and a half percent or so of, of all people in the EU, which is, of course, it, it's logical, only students or, and then with teachers. So it's a tiny group in the end. But also, in this group, obviously, it's mostly the, the better off people that have maybe more means and, and are higher up, so to say, in, or let's say, no, higher up is the wrong word here, but maybe have experience maybe with education and, and therefore go abroad. And I'm, I'm wondering if, if you're not more kind of like giving to the same people and enhancing the possibilities of, of the kind of people that are already super open and giving them, making them more global and whatever, you know. While on the other side, there are so many people that never go to university. And, and I know you will say, yeah, Erasmus has also opportunities for non-students. Uh, but let's be honest, I think in the end, the, the, the percentage of people that are non-students and participate in the Erasmus programs is very, very small. I, I, I have a bit of the feeling that we're maybe that, that the cultural splits we have in society are maybe even kind of like enhanced by that. Because now we're having kind of like these people that are getting more and more global. And on the other side, we have people that are not profiting from these pro problems and they stay just in their local communities. And and then we look into kind of like countries like the UK and the US and also in Europe, uh, on continent Europe, and we see the split between these kind of like two groups in society. And I'm maybe it's a bit of a fast stretch here and we are, I don't know. No, I think you're absolutely right, Alex. Uh, I mean, we can talk about making the Erasmus program uh, as inclusive as possible and any type of student can participate in it and have enough financial support. That's all well and good. But what about all of all of those people that aren't even in education in the first place? So what I can say in terms of the Erasmus Plus program is that it also gives money for universities to work together to design, redesign their curricula, their systems, their educational offers, um, and, you know, pilot projects that are designed to try to reach out to the most vulnerable to get them into higher education in the first place. But uh, it's a it's a very valid point that we, we have to be yeah. careful as well that, you know, we have to really reach out to the most vulnerable in society as well. Otherwise, we're just creating, you know, a two tier system where, you know, half of the people just don't have these perspectives that we're talking about and these mindsets yeah. and these opportunities. Maybe we should already start in student uh, in, in school or so Erasmus for schools. That well, that kind of already exists, though. Yeah, but is it like... There, there is, but there's not not a lot. Um, and I think that we should already, you know, from a very early, you know, yeah. stage in education, you should already start training these global perspectives and having some kind of international dimension to the education. And with technology, if we use it right, uh, you can start to do this also systematically just in classes that you work on projects, you meet students from abroad, and then, you know, sporadically throughout your education career from, you know, an infant and until you're you know, 30 or whatever, um, you have periods of mobility as well, physical mobility where you're living abroad. And, and also as a lifelong learning perspective, this is also something that um, the Erasmus Plus program is funding. For example, the concept of, you know, modularization of higher education or micro-credentials or whatever, because our society is changing so fast. And there are a lot of people that are out there that just need smaller training than a full-blown university degree. And shouldn't higher education also have these smaller packages of higher education that can help, you know, 
give people that need some specific skills the right skills but also those that are now i mean you have people in their 40s and 50s and 60s out there being active in the labor market even now 70s or 80s i mean our populations are getting older and older but you know when they were in university like we were writing letters like on paper uh with feather pens i don't know but you know their education is so outdated that you know universities really have a role as well just to reach out into society more broadly and teach people and train and educate. It's not just about those that are enrolled for the traditional two, three year programs or whatever. So I think you make a very good point, Alex. This is definitely the first time that I hear Alex and Harpa agree on such a topical issue. Um, very glad that we're managing this uh, through Erasmus. I think it's a very valid point. You know, is Erasmus bridging the gap or is it making it even wider? Um, that's perhaps uh, something we could explore as well in more detail on a different occasion uh, because it's it's a broader issue that has to do with education privilege, the way that um, priorities are established in different countries. But briefly going back to the Erasmus program as such and what it might hold for the future or what the future might hold for Erasmus, I think we've mentioned already two very challenging things. So one is money, the other one is COVID. Um, so I must pop uh, the third one to complete the trinity, and that's Brexit. Um, Costis, I'm wondering, I mean, this is a conversation you must have had already a hundred times. Uh, we were, at some point, we all got tired uh, hearing about Brexit. But I recently heard something very interesting, and that is that the British government is putting together its own mobility scheme for students. It's called the Turing Programme. And I'm just going to quote what the website of the UK government says about it. Thousands of students will be able to study and do work placements across the world through a brand new scheme that replaces the UK's participation in Erasmus+. Costis, do you think that Turing can actually replace the UK's participation in Erasmus+. Plus? Is this the new Erasmus? And what are we losing? What are we winning if we're winning anything at all? Well, uh, I honestly think that... Uh we cannot compare the Turing program with the Erasmus Plus. It's not even it's not even remotely a nice alternative to the Erasmus Plus program, for many many reasons. Um, first of all, when we hear this news, uh, we were very disappointed to see that UK uh, UK decided to leave from the Erasmus Plus family because they were there from uh, from the very beginning. They were a very active uh, country. We had so many uh, UK universities participating uh, in in the Erasmus Plus program, and uh, for me it was really disappointing because, as I said, I am from those students who have done their Erasmus in the UK. I think uh, the Turing program uh, you cannot you cannot you cannot call it an alternative. It's something completely different. For example, the Turing program gives the opportunity for uh, for UK students only to go abroad. So there is no this reciprocity of of welcoming students as well. So it's just a one way program. This is one of the of the downsides, which for us it's the the one of the most important uh, uh, problems. The second one is the whole narrative of the Turing program that it will give the option to the UK students to go to the best universities in the world. Um, they prioritize countries like uh, USA, New Zealand, Australia, and etc. And um, where is the, the cultural diversity and linguistic di diversi diversity when a UK student goes to Australia or New Zealand? I mean, they cannot gain the same things compared to if they go to Spain, Ukraine, uh, Serbia, I don't know what. They don't even need to learn a different language. No, exactly. It's you go to another country; they speak the same language as you, and that's that's the problem. I I think the narrative that the UK government has for the Turing program is to send to the students to the top universities in the world, and and does that. There is no the cultural element there. There is no you know breaking your comfort zone and everything that the Erasmus Plus is about. And I think it's not inclusive. Also, they are pushing their students to to go to this to these university countries that I, I was telling you about. But what about the smaller universities? Uh, I don't know uh, universities in rural cities and and uh, remote areas and so on. So that's that's uh, very uh, very disappointing from uh, from our side. Now the UK government claims that they will be able to actually send much more students abroad, UK students compared to the Erasmus Plus program. Uh, indeed, um, the participation of of UK students was less compared to the incoming students to UK. 
So let's see if the Turing program will be able to solve and tackle tackle this issue. Because I think they have said that they want to send 35,000 students in one year abroad, while in the Erasmus Plus, I think the average was around 16,000 UK students going abroad. So if they manage to do that, that will be amazing. But uh, we have a lot of concerns if they will be able to, to do it. I think you gave an excellent overview of why uh, Turing cannot possibly replace the Erasmus program. Maybe Herpa has a little bit more insight on that front as well. Well, the conclusion that I draw from this is that they were playing a money's game. They were looking at, you know, concrete numbers um, and then taking this decision. And it is based on some misconceptions. I think that they underestimated the value of belonging to this wider community and all of the other opportunities also that Erasmus Plus uh, gives to UK universities. So I just think that they missed the mark on this decision. But then I also wanted to mention that you know, because you asked the question, can the Turing program be a realistic alternative to Erasmus Plus? And I just wanted to say, I mean, this is a program that has existed for 35 years. There is a common language, there's a common framework, there is a culture and an understanding and a real sort of community spirit that surrounds this program that you cannot recreate in a few months. So I just think that there's a lot of I don't know what the word is, but brazenness to just say like, okay, we just launched our own program. It's called Turing and voila, done. So uh, yeah, I, I'm very curious to see what will happen with this program, but I'll give them this. They launched it within a few months and we're still waiting for the Erasmus program to be officially launched. So so there's that. One point Turing, uh, but I think I can confidently say that the rest of the points are firmly placed in the Erasmus plus column. I guess this is a real Turing test. There is a fifth uh, chapter I wanted to briefly touch upon because uh, Erasmus goes way beyond sending students abroad and receiving students uh, by universities. It's also about mobilizing teachers, researchers. Uh, it's about fostering university corporations via transnational projects that get funding from the Erasmus program. So it is really a complex creature I actually wanted to point out, Victor, that yes, very correctly, you mentioned the cooperation aspect of the Erasmus Plus program. It's not only about mobility, uh, but I, I'm not going to talk about universities and institutions. I will go very uh, to the core of the program, which is the young, the young people who are benefiting from that. So in the current program, you can find, uh, I don't know, four or five or six friends of yours in, 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 uh, in one city. All together, you can sit down and you can design a project to, to, to tackle a societal uh, challenge. And you can design the, uh, the project and then you can ask for funding from the European Union to give you the money in order to implement this, this, this project. You do not need to be a company, a university or whatever. You can just be five, six, seven friends uh, gathering together and then apply for a project and have this element of cross-border mobility and tackle certain issues. Apart from that, uh, the Erasmus Plus program gives uh, a, a very important uh, funding possibilities for youth organizations, student organizations to, to apply for funding and to become more sustainable, to have uh, better structures and so on. ESN as an organization, we get benefited from the Erasmus Plus because we receive a grant from the European Union, which gives us a certain amount of money every year. And we use this, this money in order to have a sustainable uh, structure. Without this funding, ESN wouldn't be here supporting thousands of international students every year. Because Erasmus Plus, it's not only about student mobility, it's about mobility for any type of learner. Uh, you can have youth exchanges, you can have exchanges between youth workers, pupils, apprentices, and, and so on. And all this is excluded from uh, the Turing program. I felt like there should have been a mic drop there. Costis, thank you so much for joining this episode of EU Untangled. It was a pleasure to have this conversation with you and we hope we can have you back again some other time as a guest. Thanks a lot, guys. It was a very nice uh, discussion. Please continue translating uh, on uh, what EU is doing in a very uh, you know, understandable language because also for me, maybe I'm living in Brussels for uh, two years now, but still it's so complicated for me to understand what EU does and all those hardcore policies and everything. So it's our responsibility to translate them in a, in a, in a language that young people and generally citizens understand. Mic drop. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye.
A lot was said during the episode, so I decided to fact-check some of the statements we made. But first of all, a couple of facts we must acknowledge. The new Erasmus Plus program was adopted on the 25th of March. The European Commission published the first annual work program detailing how the budget will be spent during the first year and, more importantly, the calls for proposals. This means organizations can start applying for funding. This is great news. Another fact. If you got excited by hearing about the commemorative two-euro coin that the European Union will be issuing, we're sorry to say that the voting period closed on the 31st of March. Now, we don't know yet which design won, so suspense. Now, on to the fact-checking. The Erasmus acronym was the source of intense debate during the podcast. According to Wikipedia, which references an archive page of the European Commission dating back to 2013, Erasmus stands for European Community Action Scheme for the Mobility of University Students. This, of course, supports Harpa and Alex's statements, where the R is the second letter in the word European. However, according to the 2014 website of the Italian Presidency of the European Council, the acronym Erasmus stands for European Region Action Scheme for the Mobility of University Students. I was not crazy. Now, the official website of the Erasmus program offers no clue as to what the Erasmus acronym stands for. But hey, how many of us actually know the meaning behind of our own names? In the end, asking what the acronym means is not the most relevant question, anyways. You don't go around asking questions about the ingredients in your frozen tuna pizza. That would be missing the central point. It is awesome, healthy, and you should totally go for it. The Erasmus budget. We used the ballpark figure of 25 billion during the pot. Well, it turns out that the total budget of the new Erasmus Plus program is 26.2 billion. 24.57 billion in current prices are coming from the new general budget of the EU. An additional top-up of 1.7 billion in 2018 prices was added to this amount. Now, this is also complemented by 2.2 billion more from the EU external cooperation instrument. So, Depending on the numbers you pay attention to or the person you ask, you can claim that the total budget of the Erasmus program is 24, 26 or almost 28 billion euros if you take into account the external cooperation instrument. I also fact-checked Alex, who mentioned that the Erasmus budget represents only 2.5% of the total EU budget, which amounts to a staggering 1 trillion euros for the period 2021-2027. And... He was right, goddammit. The dude is a machine. The PhD in economics is certainly paying off. We also mentioned the number of Erasmus Plus program countries. These are the core countries that can participate in and benefit from all the opportunities offered by the Erasmus program. Well, it turns out the current Erasmus Plus program countries include all the 27 member states of the European Union, plus North Macedonia, Iceland, Liechtenstein, Norway, Serbia, and Turkey. We named them all correctly, but the number we gave was not correct. It's 33, not 35, as mentioned in the podcast. We must say, though, that the program also has room for what they call partner countries, which can take part in some activities offered under Erasmus+, Plus under different conditions. But that's a story for another day. And to wrap up, I think we can all agree that the most impressive figure of this spot was the 40,000 earthquakes that have been disturbing otherwise peaceful Iceland, mentioned by Harpa at the beginning of the episode. That figure, turns out, is true. Between the 24th of February and the 15th of March, two days after the episode was recorded, Iceland registered more than 40,000 earthquakes, as reported by The Guardian, which quoted an Icelander who at that point said being not scared, just tired. Now, if you've ever experienced the flying bed phenomenon after an intense night of partying, you'll understand how hard it is to fall into a deep slumber when the walls around you won't stop shaking. You'll be happy to hear that since we record the episode, Things have evolved quickly in Iceland. A volcano, whose name I dare not pronounce, finally erupted on the 20th of March, less than 40 kilometers away from the capital, Reykjavik. As stated by the New York Times, no injuries were reported, only joy. And again, if you ever have to deal with a flying bed, you'll understand that once you get that stuff out of your system, it all feels good and calm again. And the scenery left behind by the small eruption is not the stuff of nightmares, but the stuff of dreams giving way to stunning pictures and exciting footage of lava flows and colorful night skies, described by a newspaper as a real-life lava lamp. Whoa, that's what I call some red-hot fact-checking. Okay, bye! <laughs>